Well, good morning. We are uh, in this season of Epiphany, walking through 1 Corinthians 11 through 13, and we're in a series called "This Is My Body," and we're looking to rediscover our identity as the body of Christ. Why would we do this series? I want to just talk briefly about why we're doing a series in 1 Corinthians called This Is My Body. Well, we're a young church. We're, we're two and a half years old as a, as a church. And so we need our Father to teach us who we are. You know, think of ourselves as, as a child congregation, as it were. And we need our Father just to tell us what our nature is. What can we expect as we grow up? We're also a growing church, and so we're learning to be family together on the go as the table expands, and we're getting to know one another. We're also an urban church, and so we're, we're taking people in and we're sending them out, and all of us are experiencing very intense cultural cr- cross-pressures that are shaping us intentionally, and so we need to be just as intentionally shaped as the body of Christ in this urban setting and do so in the time frame that you're here before you leave and before we bring other people in. So we need to thrive. We need to learn what it means to be the body of Christ in this urban environment. And Corinthians is just a fantastic book to help us do that uh, because it's written to another young, growing, urban Congregation seeking to live out her calling as the body of Christ. So today we're going to be talking about what it means to operate in our spiritual gifts within the body of Christ. Every Christian and every church is called to receive and exercise gifts from the Holy Spirit. Now in our context, uh, discovering your gifts uh, has, a, uh, has another meaning. And that is discovering your talents. As I was thinking about this, it's, I, I just saw, you know, sort of a ser- like, a, like a, a cluster of individual ladders. Everybody is trying to navigate and find their ladder. What's my talent? What's my gift mix? What's my Enneagram? Myers-Briggs, StrengthsFinder, StrengthsFinder 2.0. What's the exact ladder that I'm supposed to climb? And... Um, once we find the ladder, the more you know your gifts and the more you operate in them, the higher you can climb. And so ladders are individual and they're also status-oriented. So, uh, so when we talk about discovering our spiritual gifts, honing our spiritual gifts, um, here are some barriers that we might come up against. The first one is self-consciousness. A lot of churning thought and discovery about which one is the right one, I need to make sure that I don't choose the wrong or discover or use the wrong spiritual gift. I need to find the exact right spiritual gift. And uh, there's some pressure associated with that. There's some self-consciousness associated with trying to discover your spiritual gifts. The second thing is comparison. Um, Some of us think of certain types of activities as more high status than other kinds of activities. And, uh, and so we are tempted to compare gifts, compare ways of serving. Some people we see as higher, some people we see as lower. 
And so uh, we bring our comparison and our status consciousness into the worshiping community, and it can complicate things. Thirdly is fear of failure. What if you tried a spiritual gift and you, it didn't go like you wanted it to? Maybe, maybe you felt like you failed at it, and maybe you felt like you embarrassed yourself, put yourself out there, made yourself vulnerable. Um, or maybe it's just the fear of success. What if you're operating in a spiritual gift that you can't control, you don't exactly know what's going on, and, uh, and it goes really well, and that's complicating as well. So there's self-consciousness and comparison and fear of failure. It's like, you know, if I go really high up the ladder, I might fall. In summary, if we attempted to operate in spiritual gifts the same way we operate in our natural gifts, we're in danger of dividing as a congregation, dividing into the ladder clusters. You're on your ladder, I'm on mine. You're climbing up high, I'm struggling. So I'm jealous of you, envious of you. Maybe you're envious of me. It is actually a miracle when the church is united. It's really natural when the church is divided. And so when we look at the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, we really are seeking uh, to be delivered from this tendency for the church to divide. Spiritual gifts were dividing the Corinthian church um, in all kinds of splinters. This young congregation in Corinth was an absolute mess. They were excluding, they were comparing and they were splintering. Um, here are some of the dynamics going on in the background of our text here. There were some people in this young urban congregation that thought they had special knowledge about God that made them higher and better than people who didn't have that special kind of knowledge. It was an insider knowledge. It was a special, nuanced, enlightened insight about who God is, so they thought. And there were certain shibboleths that gave you away that you didn't have that kind of knowledge. And so that was dividing the church. There was all kinds of, of theological snobbery going on of people who were in the know and people who were not in the know. And they started to form little spiritual cliques around their favorite spiritual leaders. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. This is my guy. I identify with him. Well, I identify with him. And he's the more special one. He's really the one who planted this church. Well, this is the one that's the best preacher. Oh, this is the one that's the best spiritual leader. And so they were dividing around personalities. And then what happened is some of them would speak, what we, the scriptures say, speak in tongues in the worship service. When they came together in Corinth, uh, some of them would, would speak in, a, in, a, in an unknown language. Some cases it was a language that was recognized. In other cases, it was a language that was not recognized. They refer to as a heavenly language or an angelic language. And so the post-worship commentary would go like this. Whoa, we were speaking in the tongues of angels in there. We are experiencing the Holy Spirit. We are really connecting with God. We're really, I mean, we're, we're the pinnacle of where the Lord is calling all Christians. We're the model. So that was one group at Mariano's. The other group was, the other table was like, what was going on in there? They may have been possessed with demons. 
They may have been cursing Jesus with those strange languages. Who are those fanatics? Division, 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 splintering and alienating. All climbing different ladders. They're not a family anymore. And that's why this text was written. We still need it. The church will always need this text. Because we will always be in danger of splintering from one another. One of the things I love about um, 1 Corinthians 12 is the metaphor that Paul uses. And the metaphor that he uses is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. The family of God. When we come together and operate in our spiritual gifts, we are not climbing ladders. We are bonding with a family. We are becoming a family. We are operating as a family, and we need each other. We need all the gifts. We need all the people. We need all the spiritual leaders. We need everybody apprenticing in the spiritual gifts because we need all the gifts because we're family. No one is left out of family. And that is the journey that we're on as a church, is discovering our family life, meeting our siblings, discovering what their gifts are. The Lord's heart for our church is to awaken our spiritual gifts in such a way that we are bonded closer to him and closer to each other. Spiritual gifts bring us and bond us closer to the Lord and to the family of God in a very powerful way. No one is left out. Everyone is contributing. Let's look at this in three parts. Three bondings, as it were, that are all interrelated. Uh... First of all, spiritual gifts bond us to the Lord Jesus. Spiritual gifts bond us to the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Let's read in 1 Corinthians 12. I think it's two part. It's like one page has the first couple verses and then we've got the remainder. So verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And I'm so glad he said that. You know, it's possible to be really wildly uninformed about spiritual gifts. So let's get informed like the Corinthians were. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Now let's talk about some of the background of what this means. The people of Corinth, and I'm not talking just about the, the people who follow Jesus in Corinth, but every, almost everyone in Corinth, the cultural milieu of the day was they loved spiritual experiences. They loved spiritual experiences. The city of Corinth boasted a thriving religious marketplace with plenty of choice. Here are some of the options of what you could choose from for spirituality in Corinth. One was the Temple of Aphrodite. It's probably the most prominent temple. William Barclay says this, uh, Above the, uh, the Isthmus towered the hill of the Acropolis, and on it stood the great temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love goddess of love. To that temple there were attached 1,000 priestesses who were sacred prostitutes. And in the evenings they descended from the Acropolis and uh, plied their trade upon the streets of Corinth. You could bond with Aphrodite and have a spiritual experience in the name of Aphrodite um, by hiring one of her temple workers. And it was, it was everyone did it. It was a, normal, it was a normalized practice. Um, other options besides Aphrodite included this, um, the temple of Poseidon, 
who was understood as the ruler of the sea and the maker of earthquakes. He was the one most closely associated with the wealth of Corinth. And, and Corinth was wealthy because it was sort of like the O'Hare airport of the, the Roman Empire. It was like, it was, the, it was a, a place where everyone had to travel through. And so there were merchants located in Corinth that were getting wealthier and wealthier. And, and Poseidon was their patron god. If you wanted to make some money, you go make an offering to Poseidon. He's your guy. But then there was also a shrine dedicated to um, Asclepius. And I'm sure I'm not saying that very well. But anyway, he was the god of healing. The god of healing. And, and you went there to have your, your bodily afflictions um, healed. There was the temple of Apollo, Hermes, Venus, Plenty of choice. These are places to get drunk. Corinthians got drunk. Whenever there was a Corinthian played in a, in, a, in, a, in a play in the Roman Empire, the Corinthian was always staggering around the stage. Because that's what, they, oh, that's what Corinthians do. They're always drunk. That's just how they are. That's how they get spiritual. You went to temples not only to have a spiritual experience, but also to get laid, to get drunk, to get rich, to get healed. In Corinth, there was a spirituality for nearly every human impulse. You chose your God, you chose your impulse, and then you were just led astray. And that's why Paul says in verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. They were divided based on their impulses because there was a God for every impulse. And they just brought those divisions in with them to the church. They had to be instructed in a different way. Paul is referring in shorthand to the former life they had where everyone was led astray in different directions. No one had a singular Lord. There was no singular Lord over everybody. They weren't animated by the Holy Spirit. They were animated by their desire for, for sex, for money, for power. It's just like sheep scattering in all kinds of different directions, following imaginary shepherds, leading them off the cliff. That's what they were experiencing before they were baptized. So Paul needs to remind them of their baptism. And he says in verse 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now this, this is a confusing verse because it is shorthand for a lot of things that are going on. Let me rephrase it, taking the context into account. Here's a faithful way to read verse 3. Please understand me, dear Corinthian family of God. Once the Holy Spirit has given you the grace to say Jesus is Lord at your baptism... He's not going to lead you to deny or detract from Jesus. Every time the Holy Spirit animates you to act or to speak, you'll be saying, Jesus is Lord with your life. With your life. In other words, spiritual gifts, whenever the Holy Spirit comes on us, spiritual gifts are an extension of our baptism where we confess Jesus is Lord. That is shorthand for the Apostles' Creed. 
that Christians throughout the millennia have said at their baptism. Jesus is Lord, and the waters come down, and you are received into the household of faith. And from that point on, you confess Jesus as Lord with your life. We say the confession at our baptism, and then we sweat our confession after our baptism when we use our spiritual gifts. We say our, bap- we, uh, we say our confession at our baptism, and then we sweat it out for the rest of the time. It comes out as we labor for the family of God, as we labor in the name of Jesus for the common good. We are saying with our very life, our baptismal vows, Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, that changes everything. Because Jesus Christ came not to, to, to be served, but to serve. He took on a basin and a towel and washed smelly feet. He touched diseased people and diseased bodies. He lowered himself into death and hell to mingle with us. And when we use our spiritual gifts, that servant is our Lord. When we use our spiritual gifts... That servant is our Lord. We are bonded to him. We are yoked with him. We are serving him. We're in his project, carrying our cross behind his. There's a profound sense of lordship and submission when we operate in the spiritual gifts. And here are some ways that could work out. The Holy Spirit may call forward a spiritual gift that you don't feel comfortable using or that you feel inexperienced in or that you feel embarrassed about. Or maybe it's not the gift that you would choose. Maybe it's not the gift that you want, but it's the gift that you have. I remember I was in a membership class years ago. We were talking about our spiritual gifts, and um, the pastor asked me, well, Aaron, what do you think your spiritual gifts are? We were kind of going around a circle. I'm like, I don't really know. I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. And then one of my friends that I had been in a small group with said, you have the gift of encouragement. And I was like, I don't really like the gift of encouragement. (laughs) I'd rather have other gifts that seem higher status, that seem less soft, less intangible. I guess that'd be more tangible. But over the year, in between that circle of the membership class and now, I realized that Henry was right. And that's the gift that I have. And whenever I use it, I'm saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, gave me the gift of encouragement. Uh, just the other day, I wanted to get, really get going on my day, but I felt a prompting from the Lord to use my gift of encouragement at the local Starbucks. And so I just walked down the street, and the Lord allowed me to use my gift of encouragement with two people that I was passing. And then I went on my day. And I just realized this is something that I need to use, not to advance myself or be productive. This is from the Lord, and I just need to use it. And the joy has followed the acceptance for me. The Lord might call out a a need that you realize you can meet that need. You just have to sweat a little bit with the Holy Spirit and you can meet that need. And with meeting of that need, you will be saying with your life, Jesus is Lord. I saw our equipping pastor, Susan Radicke, do this in the last few years as she has arranged all the Sunday teams. Now the leadership of that is being passed on to uh, our new worship coordinator, Mandy Olson. But Susan, you know, used her gifts, even though it wasn't the most fun thing in the world. Now she's developing a membership course that I encourage all of you to take this spring. But Susan, thank you for just saying, Jesus is Lord, 
by using your gifts, even though it took a lot of scheduling in a manual online. <laughs> Here's what it could also mean. Here's another implication. It might mean that you have a gift. It's a true gift, a true spiritual gift. And for a season, the Lord Jesus says, it needs to lie dormant for a while. You are not released to use your gifts in this time and in this place. And it feels frustrating, and it feels limiting, and you wonder if it'll ever be awakened again. By not using your gifts, you are saying, Jesus is Lord in that instance. We have a common confession as a church, Jesus is Lord. When we serve together with our spiritual gifts, we make that confession together. We worship him with our whole lives. As Romans 12 says, we're presenting our bodies together as a living sacrifice, a holy and acceptable to God, and it's our spiritual worship. Spiritual gifts bond us to the Lord Jesus. Secondly, spiritual gifts bond us to each other. Let's read in verse 4 and following. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Verses 4 through 6 are painting a beautiful picture of the reality of the living God in the life of the local church. Each member of the Trinity is referenced in each one of these verses. Verse 4 references the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 references the Lord, Jesus Christ. And verse 6 mentions God, referencing the Father. And he references that the Trinity is the source of all these different varieties of gifts. Consider this. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are co-laborers. They're a team. And they've all got different gifts. They all have different things to bring to salvation. They all complement one another. They, they, they as it were, uh, metaphorically speaking, sweat together in the work of creation and redemption and restoration. They're a diverse team and they're a united team. When we exercise our spiritual gifts together, you and I, all the spiritual gifts, different and varied, we are expressing that nature of diversity and unity mingling together. We're bound together as we sweat together. We all bring different gifts, but we're all part of the one same creative project. We're all serving one Lord. Verse 6 says this, who, uh, the, the Lord who empowers them all and everyone. That means that the Lord wants to include you in on the project. If you don't feel connected to the church, one of the primary ways to get connected to the church, well, first of all, is through baptism. So if, you, if you've not been baptized yet, I encourage you to take the first step towards baptism. Our next baptisms will come on Easter Sunday. Beyond baptism, using your spiritual gifts and actually extending your baptismal confession to serving with your gifts, discovering your gifts, that's for everybody. It's, it's, it's for the common good. It, each, is given, each is given a spiritual gift for the common good. Each, 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 not some, each. That means you. Are you operating in your spiritual gift? There are a number of different ways to operate in it. The important thing is that we need to be bonded to one another and we cannot be fully bonded to one another as the family of God unless we find ways to operate in our spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit wants to release your gifts for the sake of the common good. 
my prayer is that you would take at least one step in the direction of discovering how you can serve the common good during your time at Emmanuel. And it may be that you're serving inside the church. It may be that you're serving outside the church. And it may be a combination, is likely to be a combination of both, actually. One way that we've made it possible for you to at least take that journey is we have printed out um, uh, some spiritual gifts inventories that you can pick up at the table. It's called, it says shape on the, on the cover. You can fill it out yourself or with the help of someone at a manual. And I encourage you to process the results or find the results with your small group leader, um, with your Sunday morning team, as it were, or with a staff member. Receive prayer over what you discover in the inventory. The inventory is not, is not um, perfect, but it will be one step in the direction of discovery. Ultimately, it has to be relational as well and organic. It takes time. It takes a process. So if you do not know what your spiritual gift is and you want to learn more, begin the process and give the process time. Be patient with yourself and be patient with us. Now, Paul mentions nine different spiritual gifts in verses 8 through 10. It's not an exhaustive list. It's really important to know it's an interlocking list. Not an exhaustive list, but an interlocking list. All the spiritual gifts, all nine spiritual gifts, and the ones he doesn't mention, interlock with one another. That's why we're bonded to one another when we use them. Now, there are many different ways of going through these next few verses. One way that really kind of illumines the passage in a special way and helps us understand it is by thinking of these gifts as interlocking, even two by two or two by three. For instance, let's take the first two, verse eight. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now think about how wisdom and knowledge complement one another. If knowledge is giving accurate information and accurate insights, wisdom is knowing when to act on that information when it's not clear otherwise. Or take verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Faith responds obediently to the unseen activity of God. But gifts of healing is a participation in the unseen activity of God. Paul also mentions miracles, prophecy, the ability to distinguish between the spirits or what we might call discernment, speaking in tongues, and interpreting the tongues. Now, a lot of those are unfamiliar to us. We go, you know what, are those in operation? Different people believe different things. But I'll tell you this, if someone from, uh, uh, from Africa, the global south, Asia, Philippines, were to read this list, they'll be like, oh yeah, the spiritual gifts. We as Westerners in a post-enlightenment context read this and we're like, oh, those were the spiritual gifts, okay? Some of us trust the enlightenment more than we trust the Bible, just saying. <laughs> One of the reasons I'm an Anglican is because Anglicanism is a global movement of the people of God. So I am connected via Anglicanism to my brothers and sisters in Nigeria. I'm connected to my brothers and sisters in Ghana. I'm connected to my brothers and sisters in the Philippines, in China, in Singapore, Cambodia. I'm connected to 
brothers and sisters who are operating in spiritual gifts that I have a hard time with. And they are seeing miracles. My friend Joe Deswan, who preached here earlier, he sent out a, a, a newsletter update and talked about how he's going village to village in India right now with his family doing evangelism. And you know what? There's exorcisms going on. Just, he's not trying to make anything happen. The local witch doctor came to Christ at a village where he was, he was discipling people and evangelizing people, and the local witch doctor had to have pastoral care, which means a lot of, a lot of unclean spirits came out of her. Now, I don't know how all that works, but it's happening around the world among people who are confessing Christ is Lord, Jesus is Lord. When that happens, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit get creative to build up and restore humanity. And we need them and they need us. Interlocking. We are one global church. So we need to grow, don't we, as a global church. We need to have greater international connections. That's part of, as we grow up as a church, we will develop those connections. And we will experience the beauty of being bonded, not only to each other as we use our spiritual gifts, but to the global body of Christ operating in their spiritual gifts as well. Um, you know, one thing I saw as we planted Emmanuel Anglican Church is that we needed the spiritual gifts in spades as the church was being planted. The hotter the activity, the more we needed the spiritual gifts. We needed so much discernment. We needed so much wisdom. We needed so much teaching. We needed so much faith. We had to call it out in each other. We had to bless one another. Sometimes it was private. Sometimes it was public. It still is. We still need the spiritual gifts. And we bonded to one another as we used them. Some of, my, some of my greatest friends and partners in ministry, I have formed here at Emmanuel Anglican simply because we had to use our spiritual gifts to one another. My prayer for you, my prayer for us as we grow up as a church, is that we learn how to be united as we operate in our spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts bond us to the Lord Jesus. Spiritual gifts bond us to each other. And it's so basic that we might overlook it, but spiritual gifts bond us to the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Spiritual gifts bond us to the Holy Spirit. Verse 11 says this, All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He apportions to each, each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit decides what, what, how you're going to operate in the spiritual gifts. And then to each individual person, he, he gives it. Now, if you don't trust the Holy Spirit, how are you going to receive gifts from him? In fact, he, in many ways, is the ultimate spiritual gift. He's the, the Holy Spirit is the ultimate spiritual gift. The Father gave the Spirit. The Son gave the Spirit. Do you want that gift? Do you want the Holy Spirit? Do we want the Holy Spirit? Do we trust the Holy Spirit? He wants to animate us. He wants to lead us. Um, he wants to give us a gift to give to others. And some of us have trust issues with the Holy Spirit. We, we, are, we are concerned that maybe he'll lead us in a wrong direction or that he'll embarrass us or he'll take something precious away from us. I don't always like it when the Holy Spirit animates me. I really don't. I don't always like it. Um, I don't always like it when I, when, when I sense the Holy Spirit communicating to me. 
Um, but whenever I listen and whenever I obey, something good happens that's bigger than me. Sometimes the Holy Spirit calls me to step out when I'd rather hang back. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes over me and all I can do is weep. FYI, that's what happens to your pastor. <laughs> Sometimes I just feel compelled to obey Jesus in a way that is risky, okay? Sometimes truth is revealed or the Lordship of Jesus is contrasted with something that I'm holding tight and there's nothing I can do but obey. But essentially what happens when the Holy Spirit comes over us and I love what one pastor from the UK says, is just he communicates the love of God to us. That's where it starts. Romans 8 says that the Spirit testifies with us that we are God's daughters and sons. And it's by the Spirit's power that we cry, Abba, Father. And we, and we know that, that we have, we're no longer slaves. The Spirit tells us that. You're not a slave anymore. You're love. You're in a family. Jesus Christ is your Lord. You're washed clean of your sins. There's no condemnation anymore. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's where it starts. Operating in our spiritual gifts grows from that, but it begins in love. Are we comfortable receiving the love of God through the Holy Spirit? Some of us are like a pilot light. And again, I'm borrowing this metaphor from another, from another pastor. Some of us, you know, we've been baptized. We love God. We, can, we say the confession. And our relationship with the Holy Spirit is like a pilot light. And we need the Holy Spirit to make that light increase. Our trust increase. Our love increase. Our bonding with the Holy Spirit increase. And grow more fuller and richer and deeper. Some of us have some hostility towards the Holy Spirit. We need to confess that or simply go through a journey where we, we are able to learn more about the Holy Spirit so that our trust in Him can grow. Some of us are, are eager to receive the Holy Spirit, maybe more than a pilot light, but not where we want it to be. In all of these situations, I want you to know that the living God is more eager than we are and more able than we are to give us great measures of the Holy Spirit each of us individually and as a church. God is seeking us to bond us with himself, with each other, with his spirit. Ask to receive the Holy Spirit today, and you will receive the Holy Spirit today. So let us not be uninformed about the spiritual gifts. Let's not be uninformed. Let's not operate in ignorance. Let us pray for this word to build us up, for the Spirit to guard us from comparison and alienation and, 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 and self-consciousness. Let's pray against division. Let's pray that as we use the gifts that we would be one as Jesus and the Father are one. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.